You're listening to the Oz TV podcast, only on the Oz Network. It is the Oz Network coming to you today for a special episode as we bring you an interview. Don't you get excited when you hear those words? Well, one word, interview. And we are bringing you an interview with a former cast member of Third Watch. His name is Mr. Joe Lisi. He played Lieutenant Swirsky for 70 episodes across five of the six seasons. And the most prominent cast member on the show that was never a main cast member. So he actually was in more episodes than some of the main cast by the likes of Amy Carlson, Tia Tahata, Chris Bauer, uh, some of the, the main ones that you uh, really got to know over the years. Uh, he actually was in more episodes. And a great chat here with Joe. Uh, throughout our interviews that we've had, that we've landed with um, characters from, uh, actors and characters from Third Watch, we've, we've not really had too many of uh, the police side of things. A lot of paramedics uh, and the firefighters, but uh, we've only really sort of had uh, Manny Perez on from the uh, cop side of things. So it's a, it's a bit of a unique take here to be able to get that level of, uh, of cop interest from this side of things. But Joe, great chat here. You're going to hear a lot about sort of how we got involved in the show, uh, his favourite storyline, which uh, may or may not be one of my favourite storylines kind of isn't and uh, just some great tidbits from his time working on the show as well so uh fun chat all you third watch fans out there are going to enjoy this one and all you non-third watch fans out there are going to enjoy this one anyway because joe is a fantastic guy so here is our interview with joe lisi who played lieutenant swirsky on third watch It's a pleasure to be able to bring you another interview today with a former cast member of Third Watch. That's the greatest TV show of all time. I continue to always say that. Uh, he is the most frequent cast member of the show that was never listed as a major cast member. Appeared in 70 episodes across the series run where he played everybody's favourite boss, Lieutenant Swirsky. I do, of course, speak of the esteemed Mr. Joe Lisi and he's with us now. Joe, welcome to the Oz Network. Well, thank you, Ben. It's a pleasure to be visiting with you. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show because I really do think you're everyone's favourite boss on Third Watch. I feel like we all wanted you to be our lieutenant, even if we weren't police. Uh, I, I just I feel like, as a fan, we all need to say thank you for being a great boss on Third Watch for all those years. <laughs> well, Ben, it was it was a pleasure to do that job. Is it was a lot of fun. It was. Um I was with a, a bunch of terrific people, and you're right, the only problem was they never made me a, what we call a regular, mm-hmm. and that's all about dollars and paychecks. All about dollars and paychecks. I'm sure we can we can find out about that, but one thing that I was very interested to find out in the lead-up to this interview, and I'm not sure if a lot of people uh, who watch Third Watch would know this, but you actually were an NYPD officer, weren't you? So, I mean, you kind of were, were made to play this role, I feel. Well, that's nice of you to say that. You are correct. I was uh, a member of the NYPD for 24 years, and uh, I rose to the rank of captain. When I retired, I was the uh, commanding officer of the 17th Precinct in Manhattan, which is on the east side. Uh, part of my responsibility was the United Nations headquarters. Wow. Gee, that's kind of important, I can imagine. You would have uh, definitely had to be in control of some uh, pretty important people, I don't, uh, I, I, I see. <laughs> well, we definitely, we dealt a lot with the diplomatic community, which of course has challenges of its own, but uh, the people who live on, in, in that part of town are, are uh, you know, very supportive of the police and uh, 
it's what we would call a, a low crime area. It was a pleasure to be there. How, how does somebody then who has this esteemed career in the NYPD, I, I know you're also uh, served uh, as a Marine as well, I believe. How, how does one then make this transition into to acting? Well, when I was growing up in New York City, there were only two things that I wanted to be in my life. I wanted to be a New York City cop and I wanted to be an actor. And I suspect that the reason why I wanted to be an actor was back in the 50s, there was a television show called The Untouchables, which was with Robert Stack playing Elliot Ness, the man who got Al Capone. So watching that show, I decided uh, I was drawn to police work. And, uh, uh, and then when I was 16 years old, I took the test for the NYPD, believe it or not. And I started when I was 18. Wow. And I took a leave from there, went into the Marine Corps, came back, and spent 24 years in the uh, in the police department. Twelve of which, by the way, I spent in narcotics. Oh, gee. Wow. That's, um, that's, that sounds like very interesting details that you can be, kind of protecting important diplomats in a low-crime area, but then also doing narcotics. I feel like they're kind of on the opposite ends of the spectrum there. Yes, as a matter of fact, I did narcotics cases in Melbourne oh. with the Victoria Police, believe wow. it or not. Wow, fantastic. How did that opportunity come about? Well, it came about because I uh, I was involved a lot with the crack. I don't know if you remember crack back in the late 80s, a concentrated form of cocaine. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's generally uh, acknowledged that the the trends in America of uh, Australia tends to follow them the, a couple of years behind us, so to speak. The good trends and the bad. <laughs> so the police in Victoria wanted to get out in front of that, and they contacted the NYPD, and they sent me down there. Because at the time, among some of my other jobs, I ran the undercover program, and my unit also did a, a lot of training. So we prepared a program for the police in Victoria, and we... We, we gave we presented it in Melbourne. And did you follow, I guess, the progress after you sort of present this program on sort of how, how they ended up going? Was it a successful program that they implemented? Well, the narcotics operations were successful. They don't talk about them very much. Thank God that the uh, uh, in Australia, although you have the problem, it's not to the degree that we have here in the United States. And uh, so, uh, yes, they were, they were considered successful. So that dream then of, of acting, does that ever leave you and kind of you've always thought in the back of your mind that despite you having sort of these amazing sort of career in the police and the military, that one day you're going to then chase that dream of being an actor still? It did. And it, it, it happened uh, in a roundabout way. I was sitting uh, in my home in Queens, New York, which is uh, like a, uh, it's part of New York City, but not Manhattan. And I was reading a local newspaper and I saw they were having a community theater was having auditions for a play. And I didn't even know the name of the play. It was called Arsenic and Old Lace. And I had never auditioned, but I went down and tried out for it anyway. And lo and behold, in that play, there were two small roles of cops. And they gave me one of those roles. Well, I had such a good time doing that play that... uh, Someone told me, if you want to be an actor, go learn how to be an actor. And that's when I began to study. So I took my first acting lesson at 29 years of age. And I made my Broadway debut, incidentally, at 52 years of age. Wow. 
There you go. There's definitely, I feel, a message in that somewhere that never give up on your dreams, I feel like that. <laughs> oh, that's for sure. You, you pursue your dreams at all costs. Because even if you don't achieve what you want to do, it's better to be 40 years old and look back and say, do you remember when I tried to do that? That was unbelievable. Rather than to be sitting on the porch saying, I wish I had tried to do that. Is there much of that in the NYPD? Like, are, are there other officers that do things like this, acting like... I mean, how is that looked upon within the within your fellow officers? If you're mentioning, hey, I'm going to go off and be on this stage show, is it kind of frowned upon? Is it looked upon positively, and particularly that time of, of life, I guess? Well, my... Uh my experience was the overwhelming majority of the people were very, very supportive. There are, believe it or not, uh, over 100 NYPD uh, officers who are members of the Screen Actors Guild. Not all of them work as much as I do or, or have had this, the luck and success that I have had. But they are involved and they do smaller things. But for the most part, because I had a little more visibility being a uh, what they, they call a ranking officer and being a commander, I got a little more attention. And the higher-ups for the oh, were overwhelmingly supportive of me. Great. Do they come along and watch you on stage and kind of give you some feedback the next shift you're on? No, they didn't do that. But, <laughs> but when they read things in the paper or saw my picture, they would make, uh, they would make comments to me. Or, or at uh, you know police conferences and stuff like that, they would... Uh, be quick to break my balls, if you understand. <laughs> yes, exactly. And Always is that in a loving way, may I add. Yes, in a, in a lovely way. That's good. I like that positive feedback. Um, I mean, obviously, a lot of your, your film credits, though, sort of leading up into eventually when you got to Third Watch, a lot of uh, roles around being some form of police officer, I guess. Is that, I mean, do you get typecast or is that your choice? Do you kind of go for those roles because it's what you know? Well, no, I, 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 I'd like to play many more different roles, but it seems to me, uh, if you want to call it typecasting, I'm kind of in the category of a blue-collar worker, middle class. I'm very often either a cop or a gangster or, or something like that. Recently, I played a, god, a grandfather, that kind of stuff. And is it something that, I mean, how is that industry in New York when it comes to kind of casting and things like that? Because obviously a lot of shows and movies get filmed uh, on that side of the country as opposed to sort of Hollywood and L.A. And is it kind of more focused on certain roles? Because I'm assuming they only film certain types of movies and TVs in New York as opposed to what they could do in Hollywood. Well, there are a lot of television shows that are being shot here in New York. One of the reasons that filming on location is beneficial is because... New York State and New York City gives them tax advantages. Right. So it's uh, it's good for their budget to shoot here. And you know, very often in a in a in a movie or a television program, if it's filmed in New York City, New York City is almost a character in and of itself because it's such a vibrant place. So uh, most actors prefer to work in New York City because it's it's. You know, it's a, it's a different kind of a place. When you're out in Hollywood, and I've been there too, and I like California, but everybody there is in business, is in show business, is in the movie business. In New York, you're on the subway with a homeless person and a multimillionaire and a Wall Street banker and a, uh, you know, a, 
an off-duty uh, bus driver. It's just a, it's an amalgam of all different kinds of people. And believe it or not, when people recognize you, most of them, they'll give you a little nod or say hello, but they don't bother you. Because in New York, it's kind of not such a big deal to see people on the street. It's Yeah, I remember the very first time I went to the US and I was in Los Angeles. I think I was on a, a bus to do some sort of tour or something. And you, you get talking to people and you find out that they work in some form of, you know, the entertainment industry, TV. And, and to me, this, you know, young Australian who's from a small part of Australia, says, wow, you're in TV. This is incredible. To them, it's, as you said, it's just it's just their job. Everyone does it there. So it's it's crazy, I think, kind of people's viewpoint of a place like Los Angeles and Hollywood when you're not from there. Right. And, and don't get me wrong. What I really like about Hollywood and Los Angeles, they have the most beautiful weather. Mm-hmm. And that's why the movie business is out there. A hundred years ago, they moved out there because of the weather. But if New York City had the weather that Los Angeles has, there would be no Los Angeles. You can <laughs> trust me on that. Uh, it's, it's incredible, though, um, you sort of, your background as an NYPD officer getting into acting. Uh, obviously, uh, Ed Allen Bonero, I mean, former Chicago cop and kind of then gets involved uh, in writing, sort of that was part of his dream as well. So I think it's what adds to the whole experience of Third Watch is you've got these people that really have this background in it. Obviously, you've got people like advisors and that and work on the show. H- how did that opportunity come about for you to actually appear in Third Watch? Were you approached? Did you audition? Kind of did it all just fit together well? Well, believe it or not, Ben, I auditioned for Third Watch six times. Wow. Six different characters. I auditioned for some of the firemen. I auditioned for cops. I auditioned for victims. And in my sixth audition, when I went for Lieutenant Swarsky, I said, you know, how, how many times are we going to do this? <laughs> I went into my bag and I pulled out, and I hated to do it, but I pulled out my nypd citations that i wore above my my shield and i said look i did this for real you know let's get off the pot and i don't know but they they hired me after that and they hired me for only one episode and as you said they kept me on for over 70 episodes and they were a wonderful bunch of people to work for i think what is great about the character that you played is that it's sort of you know, during that first season and a half, we sort of had, I guess, you know, lieutenants and sort of people in that that area, but they weren't really focused on it. And sort of when you appear, it's kind of you're not really expecting, I guess, it to be as long-term as it was. But by the time you realise that Swirsky's been around for a long time, you're thinking like, okay, this guy's pretty good. And then, you know, as we get to season four, season five, you're getting a lot more prominently. And then by season six, how you're not a major character, Joe, I don't know. But, uh, I mean, kind of, was that... When you're playing that character and that development of that, and when you're sort of becoming a little bit more frequent, are you feeling that sort of connection a little bit more than with, I guess, not only the characters, but the viewers? Like, and as an actor, can you feel that connection with the viewers when you're sort of a little bit more long-term on a show? You do, because what happens is, you, you know, people, like I said, people on the street will acknowledge you with a wink or a nod, or they'll, they'll walk by and they'll say, hey, great work, Schwartzky. Or like my dad even said to me at one time, he said, Joe, why do you let these cops talk to you like that? You're the boss. <laughs> and I said, Dad, it's simple. They're the stars of the show. <laughs> and, you know, so it was, it, but it's, it, it, you, get, you do get feedback from the community. I, of course, got lots of messages from, from cops that I worked with. And uh, 
they were mostly very, very positive. So I was very happy to do it. Did you have much input when it came to sort of you'd get a script for an episode and as you had experience in the role that you were playing, do you then give much feedback and say like, hey, maybe this isn't how it would work or hey, let's change this slightly because this is a little bit more realistic? Well, the longer you're with a show, whether you're a, uh, a regular or in my case it's called a recurring role, but, but a major recurring role, yeah, the longer you get are involved and the more they get to know you, the more they tend to respect your opinion because, after all, you know your character. If you're doing the show one season, two seasons, three seasons, four seasons, the longer you're doing it, you're certainly very well aware of your character and you know how your character character would react in these different situations. So good directors and, uh, and the producers very often uh, listen to any... Uh, suggestions that you have or if there's something that they would like you to do that you're really uncomfortable doing or you're saying nah i don't think swarsky would ever do that they 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 listen the other thing with television is you know you have a a a number of different directors that come in to do the episodes so you're not always working for the same director so if you're a director who's coming into a show that's on season five and the cast has been together for five years, do you think that director is going to tell you if he's smart or she's smart how your character should you know, be in, in certain scenes? No. So, so that's, that's a good thing. They give you a lot of leeway once you've established yourself. When you sort of started on the show, how, how did you find kind of getting involved with these established actors? Because I believe it was about halfway through season two where you're sort of coming in uh, playing uh, Lou. So, I mean, you know, working with people like Jason and Molly and Skip and Kobe who have, you know, very well established their characters by then. How did you kind of feel you fit in straight away? Were they very welcoming and everything when you came on board? They were very, very welcoming. And I think, of course... The, the word got out that I had been a real cop. I mean, they knew me from other projects, and, uh, uh, you know, like I was in The Sopranos and things like that. But So they knew who I was. But then the fact that I had been a, a New York City cop for 24 years, they, they really embraced that and, and they took to me right away, I'd say. Did you find there was anyone in particular that, um, I guess, I don't want to say enjoyed working with, because I feel like that would take away from the other ones you were working with, but were there any of the particular the cops that kind of, you know, you felt you got along better with maybe just slightly than some of the other ones? No, I have to say I got really along with, uh, with all of them, especially uh, Nia Long and Tia Tahara, two of the women. They were very good. Unfortunately, I didn't get to work with, uh, with the firemen and the EMT people too often, once or twice in, in street scenes. Uh, a very good friend of mine, another fine actor, John Michael Bolger, he played uh, uh, Lieutenant Johnson. And I had actually read for that role too, and I'm glad that he got it. Uh, and we know each other for a long time from studying together and things like that. So uh, it was great to have people like that and seeing them when you go to work every day. Well, I know when we doing our recaps of each of the episodes and we would often talk about sort of you know yours and his kind of role in the show that kind of as I said in my introduction you know you're like the bosses that we all wanted to have and that was the same sort of in the firehouse and um Greatly for Swirsky, you didn't quite meet the same fate, though, as uh, Mr. Bolch's uh, uh, Lieutenant Johnson by getting uh, burnt to death in a car. So, I mean, slight positive for not getting his role is that uh, you kind of got to survive to the very end. 
Yes, thank God. And uh, I was very sad to see uh, Lieutenant Johnson leave the show, as was he, by the way. He really loved doing it. But, you know, some you can't, you, you, you really have no power over that. And sometimes the producers want to do something drastic, whether it's for ratings or, or whatever, and they do things that uh, beyond your control. Did you find that, I mean, the majority of your role was often just in the in the precinct and I guess behind the desk, I guess that's probably quite like what it's like for a real uh, lieutenant, but did you relish those scenes when, you know, Swarovski got to go out on the field and kind of go out to a location that wasn't just behind the desk in the 5-5? Five five? Oh yeah, it's much more fun to be out on the set, especially in New York, because as I said, the people are interested in watching how things are done. They don't realize how boring it is often because we're waiting around and waiting around. But yet, you're right. I did really enjoy being out on the set, on location. And I wish that I would have been able to do more of that. Did you have a favorite uh, episode or storyline that you were involved in across uh, your run on the show? Well, the one thing that I do remember, there was a, there was a, a show around Christmas time. And there was... A, I don't know if it was a doll or something. It was an but, onion. You know, it was <laughs> it was hard to get. And anyway, I, I saw to it that uh, Neil Long's character got it, and uh, that was something that would probably really happen in real life with with, with a cop. And it was it was very uh, heartwarming, and I was very happy to do that. I, funnily enough, I watched that episode uh, only a couple of days ago. I'm getting my uh, fiance into watching it. Um, so, uh, yeah, the spirit, that episode where she's trying to get um, uh, the onion toy. And, um, you know, I, I, it is a very nice moment at the very end when you've got her dancing around in the, the locker room <laughs> with, her, with her onion. It's, 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 it's an interesting one. How, is that onion just a prop made by the, the production crew? Was that a legitimate yes, toy? Yes, made by the prop department. Those guy, those people in the prop department, which are of course men and women, they were unbelievable. They could do anything. It's just like the, what they call the set dressers, the people who uh, who build the sets. Of course, you know we did not really film anything in a real police station. We were in a, a warehouse in Brooklyn, uh, and uh, they really made it look like a firehouse, a police station. It was great. How how was? Um I guess the the experience as a former cop, and and I, you know, we sort of always pose this question to anyone we've had on the show because the show really did sort of take a different direction, sort of around nine eleven happening. But as a former police officer yourself, having to deal with that, not only from your past in that profession, but also then having to then pretend to play uh, this sort of uh, you know character as well. I mean, I can imagine that was obviously a very difficult time for yourself and everybody really at that point on Third Watch. It was. It was very hard because, uh, you know, I lost six friends of mine who that I knew from, from the police department, one of which was also an actor, and uh, his story was that um, he went in to retire on September 11th. He was in police headquarters in the pension section, retiring. When he heard what happened, and he left police headquarters and went over to the World Trade Center uh, to help out, and he was killed. Wow. So... You know that uh, that was very hard. Yeah, that's that's crazy, and and I can imagine then too. Um, I mean, we've talked a lot. We talked a lot about it this with uh, with Ed and kind of Guy Norman B when we had on the show too. That the way that Third Watch handled that situation. Do, do you think it was done? You know, the way you, were you? I guess pleased with I guess how they handled it because I mean it is a very tricky thing to sort of portray isn't it when really a lot of people are kind of seeing enough drama 
play out in real life rather than having to see this fictionalized version of it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that was a tricky time for uh, for everyone. And uh, I think they handled it right. They had just the, the, the right amount of focus on it. And uh, it, it was more done to, to help ease the pain that the city was going through then. And believe me, I happened to live about a mile away from... Uh, from the World Trade Center or where it was, I could see the Twin Towers from my living room window. So it was certainly had a, a real impact on me personally. As the show progressed uh, and you sort of, you know, kept on, um, were you always hoping that your character would stay on for as long as it did? Obviously, you stayed to the very end. You got your own little piece uh, in the montage, the closing montage. Was it something that you were always negotiating with them to keep on the character, or were they always coming to you saying, Joe, hey, we want you to stick around. Please stick around if you can. No, they were always very good. They wanted me. They, they brought me back every year, gave me a little pay raise or, or a nice pay raise every year, and uh, they made me feel really, to be a part of the family, and I was very, very happy. We were all very disappointed when the show was canceled because the show was doing very well, uh, numbers-wise. In other words, we were getting a good audience, but the, the problem was it was more of a... Uh, there was some politics involved because of who owned the show, and we were in, I think, at the end, a very important uh, time slot, I think 9 o'clock on Friday, and... And quite frankly, I believe that NBC wanted the time slot for a show that they owned part of. And that had something to do, or maybe a lot to do, with why we said goodbye. What's it like filming a show when you know you've got an end date? Because you know you're kind of all leading up to that final moment where it's going to no doubt be quite an emotional moment when you're filming your final scenes. But is there something as an actor that you feel you change in a performance because the show's ending because you feel it needs to have a bit of a closure point to it or do you just go into it as normal and, and not kind of try and think about that well of course sometimes when you're doing a show you don't know that mm. you're involved in the last season but we did know because they had uh, NBC had told us and told the production team and Ed Benero was very uh, smart in how he wrote those final episodes because there was a closure. If you recall, there was a fire, and they were closing down the station house, and we were all going to go our our separate way. And there was a, a scene that almost at the very end, we were all in the main in the main area of the station house, and we kind of were saying goodbye. And you know that was great. No, we were saying goodbye, and, and we were feeling it then too. Not not only because um, you know. Uh, the, the show was going to end, but, you know, we were not going to see our same cast members anymore. Everybody would go on to do different projects. And uh, we, we did have a good team when we were together. I was going to say, because I, I can imagine when you see a scene like that, um, you know, it's kind of doubles up, as you were saying. Like, not only are you saying goodbye to these characters, but you are sort of saying goodbye to the actors. And, I mean, was that, do you remember, was that like the last... Uh, scene you shot because I mean, obviously things are done in different orders when it comes to production wise but I can imagine if that was the last scene shot you, you guys probably all crying as soon as the director yells cut at that point yeah that was actually the last day of they were smart enough when they set up the shooting schedule those last scenes were in fact the last scenes so uh, that that was uh, that was heavy and you know believe it or not as close as I felt I was to some of the cast members there are some people like Jason, for example. I haven't seen him since the show ended. Wow. 
and uh, you know other people I've seen when I was out in LA because the majority of the cast actually came from LA. Mm-hmm. Uh, Skip lived here on the East Coast, and I lived here. Uh, but Tia and Nia and Jason, they all lived, uh, you know, out west. And some uh, going on to bigger and better things too. I mean, I know Cara at the moment; um, she's off in Stranger Things. Josh Stewart has wow just gone on to big things. Bobby Cannavale, of course. Um, you know, some of these ones obviously you wouldn't have dealt with being sort of on that side, but I'm sure you still kind of see them from time to time. So, uh, I mean, there's there's plenty of the cast who are going on to bigger and better things, and some who we've been a huge advocate for. They should be going on to bigger and better things, but we don't seemingly see them a lot. No, and that's unfortunately the lot of an actor. You know, it takes a lot more than talent to be successful in the business. You know, you have to have uh, you have to have a a bit of luck, maybe an angel on your shoulder to help you or guide you in the right way. And and uh, there are a lot of talented people that don't work. And then, unfortunately, there are some people that are not so talented that get to work all the time. So it's just uh, the way the business goes. I have to ask, as a former, uh, I guess, boss in the NYPD, how would have you dealt with someone like Bosco or someone like Cruz? Uh, do, you, do you feel as though they needed to get their, uh, you know, stuff pulled together a little bit more, you know, pulled into place, put in their place a little bit more, Joe? No, not necessarily, because they were, they had good intentions. When you have cops, cops need to be uh, aggressive, but not abusive, okay? And, but, the, so, but I think Bosco was a, was a hard-charging, well-intentioned officer. Once in a while, I had to straighten him out because, you know, his energy or his hands or might have acted a little faster than his brain did. And that's unfortunate, but that's human nature too. And uh, uh, But I think I, I would have supported them pretty much. I... If I saw in a script that, uh, the, uh, that one of those people were doing anything that was really egregious... I would have said something. They, they may or may not have changed it. Thankfully, that never came up. I See, I'm a huge uh, defender of Cruz because I know a lot of people seem to really not like Cruz and kind of just... A lot of people seem to be very negative of the show after she kind of got introduced. But what I think I really appreciate about her character is the layers that she had, whereas, like, it's kind of we're seeing this, you know, balls-to-the-wall cop who's kind of doing anything to, to get the person she wants. But she's, as you kind of mentioned there, I think kind of they're doing it for good intentions in a way, I think. And I think kind of that what's made her character really well layered. And I just I just really appreciated the, the crew's character and Tia Tata's portrayal of it was absolutely fantastic. And she was a wonderful woman. She's a terrific actress. She was a real team player, very supportive of everyone else, very giving as an actor when you were in a scene with her. And uh, she definitely changed things up for the better when she came in late in the show. You, you mentioned, obviously, unfortunately, not quite um, put on the uh, the main cast roster. Is You mentioned sort of the politics, money. Like, is, do you enter negotiations? Like, do you have an agent that, like, talks to the people and say, hey, we want to be, uh, you know, on the main cast? Like, how does that work? And, and how do you not get put on the main cast after being in the show for longer than most of the main cast actually were on the show? Well, first of all, I have terrific agents. I, I, I still am with the same agency that I was with way back then. They're called Abrams Artists, and uh, uh, 
my agents are wonderful. They have an office in New York and in L.A., and they're always looking out for me. I think one of the reasons why they were resistant to doing that for me was because they had a very large cast of regulars between the cops, the firemen, and the medical people. So the budget, you know, the budget was a few million dollars an episode, but a lot of that was going to salaries. So, you know, they would they would almost be apologetic that they couldn't make me or that they weren't able to make me a, uh, a regular. And my, my agents would always leave it up to me. Do you want to keep going? Or do you want to say no or play hardball and see what, what we should do? So I was having so much fun doing it. Don't get me wrong. I was getting paid nice money. <laughs> I just wasn't getting, you know, other, what other people have. But that's not the most important thing when you're doing a job, you know. Uh, and I was very happy to be part of that show. And you're right, I was usually the first person's name listed in the guest stars. But that's fine. It's still, you know, y- your name's on the screen, I guess. I mean, you know, I-, I-, I think that would be pretty cool. I can imagine the very first time you've ever get a role in a TV show where your name appears on the credits. That must be a pretty special moment. It is, it is. And, uh, uh, you know, the things that happened to me from Third Watch, I one time got a letter from a, a-, a woman in Sicily. Now, my grandfather on my father's side came to the United States from Sicily. Long story short, when my wife and I went to Sicily to meet the family that's still there, this woman, the Third Watch fan, acted as my interpreter because she spoke perfect English and also Italian. And we've become friends. And every visit that I've had to Italy subsequently, I've seen her. And she was part of the Third Watch fan club. And when she's come to the States, my wife and I see her, and she's just a lovely woman. Fantastic. I love hearing things like that. And, the, like, the thing, too, that I appreciate about the Third Watch fans that are out there, that, you know, it's not a, a big group as, say, you know, I'm sure a show that you're involved in Sopranos or things like that is out there. But it's I think it's a, it's a very close-knit, passionate group. And I, I know that there's, uh, you know, members of the Third Watch fan club and things like that who are still out there actively. You know, they go to New York, they still visit the sets and things like that. And, I mean, I, I know the first time I went to New York, one of the things that I did was I hunted down the, the firehouse and kind of the, the location where you filmed that. And um, I remember getting off the, uh, the subway uh, in, in that location, sort of around uh, in Queens, and just being blown away, like looking at the streets going, holy crap, like I'm in third watch. Like this is exactly what I would see on the screens each week. So it's a, it's a great little fan community that exists. Well, I could tell you one thing about that street outside that firehouse. My memory of that is one night we were filming and, you know, you don't know when, you, when you're seeing it on TV what time the, the, the shooting actually took place. Well, we were shooting in a, on a cold night in February. It must have been probably 3, 4 in the morning. We'd been there since like 7 p.m., and now it's 4 in the morning. And because it was a scene with the, them going into the firehouse, the cops were outside the firehouse, and I was so cold. <laughs> My feet were hurting me so much. I actually started to cry. Now, I'm a Marine, but I, that was cold like I imagine the Marines who fought in Korea must have felt because it was, it was unbelievable. We were there for hours and hours. And I remember that night there was a, a, a woman, I forget the episode, but a young girl is found in a trash dumpster. Mm-hmm. And she's like naked. 
And that poor girl, the actress, was in that dumpster naked <laughs> when it was probably 20 degrees out. Wow. Probably her calling up now to say that she remembers that as well. That's my wife. (laughs) I have to ask. She's saying, go ahead. I was going to say, I have to ask um, your famous line, eyes and ears open out there. Was was that your doing? Was that something you used to say when you uh, were with the NYPD? No, I wish I could claim that. I think that was Ed Bonero. Ah, right. I think that was Eddie, who, who, as you know, was a Chicago cop and... and, and, uh, and I think he came up with that. Even like third watch. Third watch is not an NYPD term. Mm-hmm. It's more of a Chicago term. In New York, we call the shifts platoons. So the, the, the night shift is the third platoon, not the third watch. Was it true that some precincts adopted the terminology of watches, though, after third watch aired? Well, yes, they did. And uh, that's only a testament to the popularity of the show. And I can't tell you, when we were out on the street filming, and uh, the other guys experienced this more than I did, when when they were out there, the local cops would be very, very supportive of them, want to have their pictures taken with the cast, and it was it was a lot of fun for the uh, the Third Watch cops to be so warmly embraced by the uh, the real cops. Well, a lot of my love for the show, the times I have been to New York, I, I do go out of my way to try and get at least one photo with a real NYPD officer, Joe. So um, I, I have a lot of respect as a, a fan of this show for the NYPD, and I kind of uh, weirdly fanboy out when I see real NYPD people. So, oh, my God, they're NYPD people. Like, it's amazing. <laughs> well, you know, as I told you, <clears throat> having gone to Australia representing the NYPD, I've also represented the uh, NYPD and other places as well, even inside the United States. Like, I taught a school for the LAPD, and I can tell you this, no matter where you go in the law enforcement world, whether it's state, local, federal, international, when they find out that you're from the NYPD, you are the man. (laughs) You are the one they want to talk to. And when I say you're the man, you could be a female officer. You're still the person that they want to talk to because you're the NYPD cop. I have to say, um, in the latter seasons when sort of, you know, you've got the Cruz and Bosco storylines around the anti-crime and you've got those NYPD sort of street jackets, I did get for Christmas one year one of those NYPD street jackets that I wore a lot when I was a teenager and um, got a lot of comments from that jacket. So, uh, you know, one of my... I still got it too. Like, I will never throw that out. (laughs) Well, have you gotten an NYPD baseball cap? Uh, no, I don't. I've got it. No, the only I bought a few NYPD sort of base things when I was in New York, but I'd never gotten a baseball cap. Well, Ben, if you, when we're done with this, you email me your address. I'll see that you get a, a real NYPD baseball cap. Done. I will make sure I uh, I do that. Definitely, that would be fantastic. I have to ask you actually, just on that topic of your of your line, can we get you to deliver us and our listeners and eyes and ears open out there? You want to hear it now? I do. I really do. Okay. Eyes and ears open out there. Oh, look at that. I feel like I'm about to get into a squad car and, and go out and, uh, you know, tar- walk around the uh, the 55th and uh, help that out. Do you get, is it more of a recognisable thing for you from Third Watch? Or, I mean, you're only in a few episodes of The Sopranos, I believe, but, I mean, that show, I mean, the, the level of... Uh, success that The Sopranos had, I can imagine being attached to that show must uh, get some attention still after all these years as well. Well, 
I got much more no, uh, notice uh, from Third Watch because, as you said, I did many more episodes of that. But having been part of The Sopranos was also a wonderful treat. And I still am involved in, in uh, things with former cast members of The Sopranos. So they do remember me from that show as well. But more people come up to me and say, hey, Swarsky, than say... <laughs> Dick Barone, you know? <laughs> and, I mean, post-third watch of the opportunities you've had. I mean, I um, I recently saw you in Manifest. Uh, you've, you've been in, like, Blue, Blue Bloods is a show that I follow because I think Blue Bloods has got a lot of uh, connections and it feels very similar to sort of third watch on, on many levels as well. So, uh, I mean, you've had these great opportunities as well. Um, sort of what are some of your favourite um, shows outside of third watch, uh, Sopranos, even movies as well. We shouldn't just sing this out to TV shows that you've had the chance to be involved in over the years. Well, of course, Third Watch was the show that I did the, the longest and the most. But like Blue Bloods, for example, one of the uh, executive producers from Blue Bloods was involved with uh, Third Watch, and she was one of the main writers there. And on, on Blue Bloods, I'm now the uh, chief of patrol, which is like a three-star chief. So they brought me in a couple of times this year, and throughout the run of the show, they brought me in two or three times. I wish I, I had... Uh, on Blue Bloods, what I had on on uh, Third Watch, because that's another great group to be working with, I can tell you that. It's it's just got a unique vibe about it, Blue Bloods, I think, kind of just that family element with the Reagans. And, um, yeah, it's just... I'm, I, to be honest with you, I'm not the biggest, you know, cop show fan. It's it's just something that it's just it's not the type of TV show I'm in. It's just Third Watch I got into mainly based on the fact that I was an ER fan, and then kind of it stuck. And but but Blue Bloods is just that one show I think post Third Watch that to me is enough of a connection for me to keep following it because yeah, it's just it's just got a nice vibe about it that show. Well, I think that's largely uh, uh, Tom Selleck has a lot to do with that. He's a wonderful actor, great guy. And he draws a lot of people. Although uh, uh, Donnie Wahlberg does a great job. Everybody in that show is also very, very good. Yeah. And uh, But I, I, isn't it funny that they are uh, cops who at one time were U.S. Marines? Was that mm-hmm. Who's that remind you? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know anybody about that, actually. Uh, <laughs> I also love the fact, too, that there's... Um, there's a lot of storylines that it's kind of like, oh, that, that third watch did that. Like, um, what's his name? Jamie, how he was the lawyer, but he became the cop instead. Um, and things like that. Like, just a few little things. Uh, that's maybe why I like it so much, too, because I feel like, oh, they're just redoing this a little bit with third, third watch storylines. <laughs> well, don't they say that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery? Very much true. Very true. The other one that I think um, we've talked a little bit about, too, was, um, was Southland as well, uh, which, I mean, John Wells was involved in southland was he not yeah he was yep yeah so that that was another one i think that kind of you know it worked really really well so uh definitely shows that we we look at i think covering at some point here on um on the oz network now just quickly too we got a um i put a call out for some listener questions and i actually got a tweet in uh, we've talked about him a few times from mr ed allen bonero who basically says no question but he wanted to say that he loves you and misses you and hopes that you're well who said that ed ed and mr the, your boss your former boss. <laughs> uh, he, he was, let me tell you, he was a wonderful guy, and he's the guy that hired me, so I can't thank him enough. Was there much conflict, I guess, kind of, well, no, I don't say conflict, that's not the right word, but given his background as a Chicago cop bringing in the Chicago terminologies, and you're then the former NYPD officer, do you sort of have to go, like, no, no, come on, Ed, this is, we would never say this in New York. <laughs> 
Well, no, I would never say that to Ed because he's the boss. But keep in mind, <laughs> he was only a Chicago cop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you, now, the one thing too, we're we're about to celebrate the twentieth anniversary, and we're, we've got sort of some things planned in the lead up to that. Is it crazy to think that it has been twenty years since that premiere date? Obviously, you weren't there for the premiere date, but I mean, you were still kind of there from the beginning. But twenty years since this show has gone by, I mean, that's just insane to think it's been that long. It seems like only yesterday, and that's scary. You know, as you get older, time seems to fly by even faster, and I, I, I can't believe that it's been that long. Is is it sort of, you know, will you reach out to anybody that sort of you still touch base with, maybe just send them a quick message and say, you know, how are you going? Uh, happy anniversary. <laughs> well, you know, I, I sometimes run into Skip. You know, he's doing some directing, and, he lives in New Jersey, which is not too far from here. I've run into Molly on certain things, and we 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 fondly reminisce about our time on Third Watch. But I don't think it's likely that we're going to call up unless Ed puts together an anniversary get together. <laughs> well, we're trying. We're trying to get something just involved where we can get some of you maybe all on together at the same time. But um, it's just it's it's crazy. Just uh, you know that time that that goes by with it and everything. And obviously, Third Watch wasn't exactly the biggest show in the history of the world, but it was still. I mean, I still stand by the fact to me it's the greatest TV show of all time. And uh, here we are doing a podcast about this, trying to chat about it. So there's still that inf- you know interest out there, Joe. People still care about it enough. Well, I have to tell you, Third Watch had very, very loyal fans, and and quite a few of them. So I'm not surprised that they still talk about it. Uh, One thing, too, that I'll add just before we close it off as well. I mentioned before that you you had a moment in that uh, closing montage at the end. That must feel, even though you never quite got that main cast uh, status, as we said, but, I mean, that must feel a bit of an honour, the fact that they still give you that opportunity with all the main characters getting their closing moments, that you are involved in that. And that must make you feel really good, I guess, to be involved in that in the closing moments of the show. Yes, and another thing that Ed did in that particular moment is he let me say my own words. In other words... He did not script most of that. Those were words that I wrote from my heart. Wow. And I really felt like they were we were leaving and that the family was going in different directions. Fantastic. So when I told them about how good uh, cops I thought they were, that was, that was partially Joe Lisi, the cop, talking to those real cops about how good they were. Great. Oh, I need to watch that differently now whenever I see that. It's fantastic. Anything, anything in the pipeline, though, coming up, Joe, that, uh, you know, you can, you can tell us about uh, outside of sort of the Blue Blood stuff? Any other exciting projects that you, you're working on currently? Well, I'm always waiting for the next phone call like every other actor. But as you said, <laughs> I did a manifest this year. I did a blacklist and a couple of Blue Bloods. So I'm still out there churning away, looking to make a dollar and, uh, and having a wonderful time doing it, you know? I always say I'm so happy that my grandfather came here. Otherwise, I'd be picking olives off a tree in Sicily. Wow. There you go. How things can change over time. One yes. little one decision can change our entire path, basically, uh, <laughs> forever. Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate, having you on this show. Thank you very much for joining us and reminiscing a little bit about your time on Third Watch and other parts of your career as well. And as I said, we're, uh, we're planning this 20th anniversary. We're kind of ironing some details out at the moment, but uh, we'll, we'll get you involved in some capacity and uh, get you on that episode in a few weeks. How does that sound? It sounds great to me, Ben. Thank you. And don't forget to send me by email your address. 
and a big thanks to Joe there for a fantastic chat. Learnt a lot, and yes, I'm not a fan of the spirit, the uh, Oliver the Young in episode, but uh, look, uh, my opinion is different to a lot of other people, clearly. So uh, there you go. Uh, and uh, a fantastic uh, opportunity there to hear a lot about that sort of stuff, as we're always very grateful to have any of these uh, actors coming on the show to chat about their time. And as I, I've mentioned in that, and I've mentioned a few times and some other things, we we're, we're really are planning something big for the 20th anniversary. We are basically a month away now from that 20-year anniversary since the show premiered, and we're still just ironing out some details about just specifically what we're going to be doing. So um, we, we are really hoping to get a couple of the, uh, the former the actors and some of the crew in one call, basically one episode to kind of have a mini reunion. But if we can't get them all together, we're hoping to get a few little tidbits of just some other ones that have been on the show in the past to come together in some capacity. And even if we can't, we're going to have some of our, um, our co-hosts, our fans of third watch, as well as maybe even just play some snippets from some previous interviews we've done just as a collective episode to celebrate the occasion that is the 20th anniversary of third watch. So, uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, that's coming up in September and our episodes too, our recaps, we are, uh, deep into the sixth season now so we are very much at the pointy end of our third watch coverage so we are definitely um you know enjoying bringing those to you and we really hope that you're enjoying listening to those ones as well because it's only a few months until we're completely done with uh, our third watch episode recaps but uh we will of course have some other ones uh, in the pipeline, we're, we're never going to give up on interviews with certain uh, actors and all that sort of stuff that may or may not happen in the future, but uh, we still obviously are appreciating you tuning into those. We see that you're listening to them and uh, we hope that you are enjoying them as we are the very first and only podcast we've ever covered, Third Watch. So there you go. We're in a unique position. Outside of Third Watch, so of course, if you are a fan of other shows such as Lost, we cover that on a Monday. Remember to check that out. Survivor, of course, Australian Survivor and the thick of things right there as well. We generally have them towards the end of the week. Our Flashback Friday episodes from our former Survivor Oz interviews happen on a Friday. We've got some great movie recaps coming your way next month. Uh, Terminator begins in terms of our Terminator coverage. We're recapping all five Terminator films in the lead up to the new Terminator movie later this year. And the big one, we're covering all ten Star Wars movies in the lead up to The Rise of Skywalker coming out in December as well. So uh, we're getting into the thick of things recording those at the moment and they're going to be some long episodes but we know you're going to enjoy them so uh stay tuned for that and the one thing too that uh if you've got a few moments spare we would love for you to do is uh if you head to our facebook page or our twitter page we have put up a survey where we are asking you to give us some feedback on the show let us know some thoughts about some things we have planned for the future and it really will help shape the direction of our show so we very much would appreciate if you could just take a few moments of your time to fill in that survey and uh, it will help steer us in a certain direction when it comes to the Oz Network. So uh, please do that. We would be very much appreciated. Once again, thanks to Joe. A fantastic interview. Joe Lisi and uh, definitely appreciate his time here on the Oz Network today and we appreciate you listening to the show. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. We're on Instagram as well and remember, go to wherever good podcasts are sold be it iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Subscribe. Get these episodes direct to your device and take a few moments of your time as well to leave us some feedback. We very much would appreciate that as well. My name is Eve Ben. Thanks for listening to the show today. We'll speak to you next time on the Oz Network. Good night. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.